Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Uh, My name is Matthew Kelm. I'm an Associate Chief Pharmacy Officer at Duke Health, and I'll be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. With me today are Maggie Penovich, Director of Pharmacy Services at Medically Home, Mary Petroskis, Director of Pharmacy Operations at UNC Health Rex in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Keila Edvilson, Area Pharmacy Director of Home Infusion Oncology and Compounding with Kaiser Permanente. Thank you for joining us today, Maggie, Mary, and Keila. Let me get started about talking about today's topic, operational considerations for hospital at home. Our first question is, could you please describe the value for hospital at home at your organization, such as where you see the value when the hospital exceeds capacity from a provider's perspective, or even with the filter of today's current labor shortages? Keila? Hi, thank you, Matthew. I think where we saw it first was COVID and just being able to stand a process upright in the havoc of COVID and just being able to help patients be at home instead of the hospital and treating patients with remdesivir for certain COVID patients, uh, cellulitis and Lasix, just for some of those things that they don't have to be in the hospital for. I think it really was a great value for patients to be able to be at home, especially during shutdowns. And we were able to really service the patients and get them some great care while being at home. Um, thanks so much for having me. I, I want to add to what Keila said. It's a great option for our patients to be able to care to be cared for in their home. And as she mentioned, during the COVID pandemic, when we were um, low on beds in our traditional brick and mortar hospitals to have that option to send a patient home, have visitors at home, be with their pets, sleep in their bed. I think our patients just do better in, in their home surrounded by the people they love, the things they love, the routines they're, they're accustomed to. And so versus being transferred, say, to a swing bed to get your IV antibiotics and in in our region, for example, the closest um, hospital to go get antibi- antibiotics is an hour away for some of our our patients. And so to receive that care in your home, have it all brought to you in the comfort of your home um, is a really is is a big bonus. And I think we're seeing our patients are thriving and they're healing faster when they're in the comfort of their home, sleeping in their bed next to their spouse or loved one. Um, and the, the disease state that we've seen it most with is dementia. And so we know patients with dementia, when they get into a brick and mortar hospital and they're surrounded by people they don't know, surroundings they don't know that they're not comfortable with, they're out of their routine, they they do a little bit worse in the brick and mortar hospital. And, and one of our first patients we brought home, his delirium melted away within an hour of being at home um, because he was comfortable. He was surrounded by what he knew what he knows. And so I think it's benefiting our patients, just they're getting healthier faster. And it's also opening up beds so that the patients that do need a hospital bed can get that hospital bed and the specialized care that they, that they need. That's a great question, Matthew. Um, These patients are definitely in a unique workflow. So there's a lot of different considerations that need to be taken into account. For us, patients are accepted either directly from the emergency department or from an inpatient bed transfer. And 
Prior to acceptance into the program, patients are screened both clinically and uh, for social barriers to care at home. And so clinical screening questions include um, any known requirements for advanced imaging, if there can be a partnership with the patient or their family member to safely care for the patient in that home. And we do utilize some standard screening tools such as the interqual or the Milliman criteria for inpatient admission. Uh, for social screening, um, we do some things you don't need to do in, in the brick and mortar setting. We assess the patient's residence if they have running water, or electricity, reliable cell phone or, or broadband internet coverage. Additionally, we look at their cognitive function, um, any mobile or sensory deficits or ADL impairments that uh, need to be taken into consideration when thinking about caring for these patients in their home. Yeah, those are really helpful insights, uh, Maggie and Keila. Thank you both very much. Uh, Mary, I'd like to pivot towards you. How does your organization identify eligible patients? Do they use an assessment of risk or some other tool to help identify them? Yeah, and adding to what Mary said, are the social screening that happens that that doesn't necessarily count as an exclusion. Um, so if you don't have internet or cellular, which when we're working in rural America, some of our patients don't or elderly population, that helps us as a care team figure out what do we need to supply to take care of this patient in their home. And we've come a long way as far as that goes. We used to, that used to be exclusion, right? If you don't have Wi-Fi, Unfortunately, we can't care for you. Now we set up Wi-Fi in your home and we've partnered with organizations in the local areas to bring that to the home so that we can care for you if you're a great candidate. I want to touch on diagnosis too, because that's evolved a lot since we went live with this care model. We used to really limit it um, to congestive heart failure exacerbation, COPD exacerbation, acute kidney injury, pneumonia, and cellulitis. And that was kind of one of our screening criteria. But now we really care for anybody that can be safely cared for in their home. So we don't limit patients by diagnosis. It's really, can we care for you safely in your home? And all of that screening criteria that Mary mentioned plays into whether you're a good candidate or not. And we, we really try to take anybody who's safe home. Yeah, I think Maggie led well into this, um, that we can now bring a lot of technology into the home to help with the care model. So once our patients are transferred home, they do receive 24-7 virtual care through a dedicated mission control team. Um, and those individuals work with different technologies in the home, such as tablets for communication back and forth um, and tablets that um, are also connected in with our EHR UNC Health also has a, a network of rapid response providers that deliver medications, administer medications, draw labs, and monitor vitals as well. Our inpatient pharmacy services uh, do provide clinical and operational oversight for these patients, um, and so they are uh, connected in with our overall coverage model for our, our hospital. Just some additional... we you know, provide way scales and blood pressure cuffs, things that you would normally have in a hospital on a patient care unit, um, but need to be brought to the home. Yeah, that's a really broad and expansive view. And it's really interesting to hear that um, technology is no longer a barrier, right? That that, that can be part of uh, the coupling of these services. Thank you for that. Uh, the next question I think applies sort of to everybody. So we'll do it round robin. Uh, Mary, if you wouldn't mind getting us started. 
How do you, how does your hospital at home program staff and what technologies are you using to monitor your patients? Hi, well, just to add on to Mary, uh, one thing that's unique about Kaiser Permanente is we go, uh, we service these patients through our home infusion model. Um, our home infusion pharmacists and technicians, um, we're used to working with the doctors and labs and monitoring everything to send patients home and watch their overall care. And I think it's great that we already have the system set up where our uh, pharmacists are used to doing this in the home. They're used to monitoring the patient. They're used to looking up labs and making sure that the right drug is for the right diagnosis and making sure there's no drug-drug interactions and working with the physician. So this was just another stepping stone into the same uniqueness and helping provide further care. Plus, the patients um, get their outpatient oral medications through our outpatient pharmacies. And we can uh, help deliver everything to the patient's home so that they don't have to go in. Everything's hand-delivered from some couriers. And I think it just provides the patient again without having to go in. Here we were with COVID again and everyone having to stay away. And so instead of the patient having to go into the pharmacies, we're delivering to the home. So I think overall that it's a great teamwork model and providing the best care possible. Kila, what about your organization? Yeah, I'll just add on. I think central to care and a big piece of technology that we use in the brick and mortar and clinic space as well as our electronic health record. So that still plays a major role in the care of these patients. We're still placing our orders in the electronic health record. We're using uh, a medication administration record in most areas. So we're documenting medications and using that for safe medication administration. That all uh, feeds and, and talks back and forth with that technology that we have in the home that Mary talked about. So the iPad that the patient can communicate with the virtual command center at the touch of a button on an iPad. So when we think about our elderly population, it can seem overwhelming and maybe this isn't a good fit for elderly population, but it's so simple and we make it so simple that it's really a touch of a button. That doesn't mean that the patients aren't talking with the iPad like right up to their face, right? Like our a lot of our parents and grandparents do. But the iPad is simple to use. Um, the blood pressure cuff is feeding right into the electronic health record, the weight on the Bluetooth scale, um, the vitals with the pulse ox. And also the patients, I think, as, um, you know, I guess, daughters, sons of patients that are in this model, you might worry that they're not in a brick and mortar hospital. And so they don't have people there all the time. And what if they fall, right? They're in their house. Now they're walking around and we introduce a fall risk inevitably. Are they safe? Can we get to them quickly? And we do. And we do. Every patient has a watch, a, a PERS unit. And so if they do fall or something happens, they push that um, and they they can access EMS right away. But honestly, with all the technology in the home, they can't walk out of the house without us knowing about it. They, if they go over to the neighbors for a cup of coffee, we're, we're calling them. Where are you? You know, we can't find you. So we're, we're very in tune. And I think coupled with the technology is still that key piece of physical presence in the home. So we still have those caregivers and clinicians going out to the home. So coupled with the technology, it really is um, beyond, I think, the level of care that you're getting in the brick and mortar hospital. Those are some really great perspectives. I want to dig a little bit deeper 
uh, on a concept that you guys started to talk about, right? So um, handling medication delivery, uh, storage in the patient's home. Um, you know, there's logistics questions here around who transports it, what do you do with IV meds versus refrigerated meds, what if it happens to be hazardous or even if narcotics are involved. Um, so Keila, can you talk to me a little bit about how you handle these complexities of med delivery? Yes, thanks. You know, I think this is a perfect question for our pharmacists and how we've always done it through home infusion. Our home infusion pharmacists and technicians are used to talking to the patient and making sure, and our nurse, and making sure that the home is um, a safe place to store things and what who's in the home. So I think our pharmacist with Medically Home has always worked with the nursing and making sure that everything is stored properly. If it's an IV, does it need to be in the refrigerator? Does it need to be stored at room temperature? Uh, where do their oral meds need to be stored? And I think our pharmacists have always worked really well with the nursing staff. If there's any questions, our pharmacists are there to help answer any questions. And also they attend rounds every morning to make sure that are they taking the meds that appropriately and um, storing them appropriately? And um, is there a refill needed? So. I think the pharmacists during the rounds with the medically home doctors and nurses, it's a perfect way to communicate how to store the meds if there's any questions. And then we also courier the meds to the patient's home to meet the nurse so that the nurse and the medically home group can help store the medication where it's needed and they can help the patient. And I, I know Maggie can speak more about what happens in the home. We're just we're around 24-7 to answer any questions that might come up for the patient and the caregivers. Yeah, I'm going to build on Kila's experiences um, because when we went live with the hospital at home model, our um, inpatient pharmacy did provide order verification, but our dispensing came from our retail and home infusion pharmacies, similar to her model. And about six months in, we transitioned to inpatient dispensing. And there were several reasons for that change. Um, one of the big ones was those pharmacies weren't 24 seven. And so that impacted our ability to accept transfers from patients in the evenings or on weekends. Um, ad additionally, you know, having multiple pharmacies to courier the medications versus just one inpatient pharmacy um, did pose some potential for, for scalability. And so, we do utilize our existing infrastructure for inpatient dispensing, like our carousels. Um, but in some ways, we have adapted those models for these patients. And so one example of that is um, for 48 hours worth of medication dispenses, those populate on one label. And we do that as one, um, one dispense. Another is that we utilize a, a filtering queue for dispensing, which also helps with our mission control workflows that they're able to see the number of medications and what medications are dispensing and they can uh, triage uh, what patients are going to be discharging potentially in the next 48 hours or, oh, I don't see this um, you know, PRN Zofran for a patient and they've not been feeling well the past a few hours, so maybe you know, pharmacy can can dispense some additional product. We we do courier most of our our medications uh, to the home, and uh, that part of that assessment prior to the patient transferring includes, you know, do they have a refrigerator that can store medications that is reliable? Do they need a backup generator at 
the home for electricity concerns, um, do they have anything in the home that needs to be sequestered because we're going to be providing them medications? And so how do we make sure that they aren't, you know, accidentally taking their own as well as ours? Um, and so all of that is assessed up front. One of the big changes for the inpatient pharmacy was dispensing supplies. That's definitely not something that uh, we are used to. Uh, our home infusion partners are, are very familiar with, with medication supplies. So that was a, that was a learning curve um, as well for us. So a lot of different considerations. Uh, and I think Maggie has even piloted some automation in the home that she can speak to. I have um, just really piggybacking off what you ladies said. This is, I would say, by far the most complicated and complex medication dispensing model. You know, it, there's some element of home infusion and retail pharmacy ambulatory that plays into it. But then the patients are have the severity of illness and high acuity that our inpatients have. So if, if they weren't in their home, they'd be in the hospital. So the the medication changes are happening sometimes daily and very frequently. And then um, under the CMS waiver, we're held to joint commission med management standards. And those don't apply. And specifically with storage, when you think about medication storage, that's a big shift for our pharmacists to think about is, um, especially for our hospital pharmacists, is storing medications in a patient's refrigerator with their food, right? Like it, it, it's hard to imagine and think about. And then when you think about the hospital and we're monitoring temperatures constantly and the humidity of the room, and, and we just don't have that in the patient home. And then just onto automation in the hospital, we have so much automation when you think about it in our automated dispensing cabinets. And it's very um, automated, not manual. And this really presents a manual workflow and process uh, that none of our inpatient staff are typically used to if we're leveraging our inpatient pharmacy staff, which in a lot of places we do because of that 24-7 need to take care of the patients um, clinically and and distribution-wise. And so when we went live at Mayo, the, the leadership said, we want a Pixis in the home. So Pixis is what we use, but any sort of automated dispensing cabinet, because that's what we're used to. And we know that helps provide safe care. So um, we piloted that um, at our Wisconsin site at Mayo and did a market scan and found a product. Um, it's called Medicube. It's, it's really something that's used in the home for consumers at this point. So something you would buy for your parents or your grandparents to help them take their medications on uh, a regular basis and, and help with adherence. And so we chose that and piloted that in Wisconsin. And so one of the unique things about it is a web-based portal that it has. So our pharmacists in the hospital are verifying orders and then they're updating orders in the portal so that these medication changes can happen automatically and automatically dispense medications in the home to the patient. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but we do need, I think, as a pharmacy profession to figure out what does safe medication use look like in this model because we don't have, like we do in the brick and mortar, where Right now, we, 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 t we tend to have a scan at every single step in the medication use process. We know 
who touched the medication when from the point it's ordered to the point the patient puts it in their mouth. Now it leaves our hospital or our home infusion pharmacy, retail pharmacy. Once it gets to the home, we really don't have that that level of control in the home. That's hard for us as I think hospital uh, caregivers to wrap our heads around. And so that's really what we're investigating, trying to figure out is what do we need for automation in the home? I think without automation, we, we've come up with some storage containers that that people use just to organize the meds in the home because we do have clinicians going out, but there are meds that the patient needs to take where it just isn't, it doesn't make sense to send a clinician out to the home to give their PRN Tylenol. And so the patient's responsible for retrieving that Tylenol and being watched by a virtual nurse to take that and then having that administered uh, and documented on the MAR. And so how do we have meds organized in the home in a way that the patient and caregiver um, can access it in a safe way? And how, like Mary said, how do we keep their home medications that they're used to taking in a sealed sort of maybe tamper-proof bag off to the side so that when they get home, they don't fall back into those habits of wanting to fill their pill box and take their pills in addition to what we're, we're providing. So there's just new logistical challenges. And uh, for the most part, when we're talking about inpatient dispensing, we're, we're following processes and dispensing it as if they're on another floor of our hospital. We're just couriering it out to their home. But then we're trying to find solutions for once the medications get out to the home, how do we gain insight into everything that's happening with the medications? And so that's where the automation comes into play. And so we had a lot of success with that. We continue to use it in Wisconsin, the automation piece, and we're just trying to, to grow that. There are no interfaces, which is obviously another bonus with our Omnicell Pixis automated dispensing cabinets is Um, All those medications just flow freely um, to our automated dispensing cabinets. In this model, we're sending out multiple days of drugs at a time. And when changes happen, there's meds sitting out in the home that are no longer ordered. And so we, we just are really trying to find a solution for that. So Medicube is as close as we've gotten. I think we've we've piloted that. We've got some results on that to, that improves access, helps organization and storage in the home, helps providers that are going out to the home with medication administration and helps our witnessing nurses in the command center when they do have to oversee medication administration. But I think we've, um, this is a space where we have some some room to grow and improve as that medication storage and administration in the home. Well, thanks for that, Maggie. Yeah, it certainly sounds like an area of potential innovation um, and a new a new opportunity for sure. Um, but innovative solutions, right? And, and sort of looking for new uh, opportunities. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Mary, Maggie, and Keila for joining us today to discuss operational aspects of hospital at home. Find more exclusive member content, including resources for self-development, leading the pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us and be sure to describe to the at ASHP official podcast. Have a great afternoon, everybody. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. 
Join us next time on ASHB Official.